Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dina Varley, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio and I've got a new friend with us here on the phone coming to us all the way from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Crystal Bardet. Crystal, thank you for being on the Project Purple podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. So full disclosure, you and I were connected from another survivor on social media. The power of social media in a good, you know, with everything going on, we're recording this right after the election. There's so much noise on social media, I guess, good and bad, right? For both sides. Exactly. And, you know, we talk about this often about the internet and social media, but I have to say the majority of our guests and connections that we find are via social media. So it's done wonders for us. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being a guest. Yes, I, thank you for having me. And I believe it was Helen, we should give credit where credit is due. Is was it Helen McGregor that connected us? It, yes, it was Helen. And I and I met her, her through uh, social media, through somebody else that I knew. Um, and that's kind of how we all connected through Instagram, Facebook. I mean, that that's the cool thing about social media. Like you were saying, you meet so many amazing people out there when sometimes you feel so alone, especially especially during this weird COVID time, you can really reach out to social media and find positivity through there. And so now for the audience listening at home, hopefully they know that name, Helen, for a couple of reasons. One, we've had her on a mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, and I know this because she was our first international podcast, I believe, coming all the okay. way from Australia. And then we had her on another recap episode and we've done some YouTube stuff with her. And we also, she just took over our Instagram channel the other day. But to draw dots here, to just show people the power of social media in a positive way, you live in Cedar Rapids, she's in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So if you think about it, halfway, somewhere in Iowa is halfway, I don't know if it's Des Moines, it's like the halfway point for the United States is Iowa, right? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say. I would say. I, 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 I guess someone someone can call me out on that, but I think <laughs> I have I have a very good feeling that Iowa is like the halfway point. And the reason I know this is I believe outside of Des Moines, I think in Ankeny, which is a little bit north of Des Moines, like Google, Facebook, and Microsoft built these massive, massive buildings, and a donor of ours who uh, will remain nameless. He uh, he was a contractor on those buildings, and he mentioned that you know they were building these big data centers, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, mm-hmm. and I think Yahoo, out in Iowa, outside of Des Moines, because it was the halfway point for the United States. Oh, that's uh, cool. I had yeah, no idea about that. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's cool. If you ever go out that way, I believe it's like north, of, it might even be north of Ankeny, like almost okay. like near Ames or in between Ames and, and Des Moines there. But um, he was saying how, yeah, like it's like, the, it's because of the country and because of uh, land as well um, is uh-huh. relatively inexpensive when you have to build, you know, these large, massive buildings. But it's a little little fact here for you today on the Project Purple podcast about <laughs> Iowa. But back to where my point is, you know, you've got you in Cedar Rapids and you've got Helen on the other side of the, the world in Australia connecting, you know, via social media, which is just to me is just so freaking cool. That really, and I had no idea she was from Australia. 
Yeah. So that makes that makes it even cooler. I guess I didn't really look into where she was from. I I just was you know we just uh, met through social media like a week or two ago, not even. Um, and the crazy thing about that now that I'm just sitting here and thinking about it, um, I went to Australia right before I was first diagnosed. Like wow. it was one of my huge mu- trips. I was there for a month, and really, I I came back and I was um, everything was fine. Then just all of a sudden, I was diagnosed. So just like that whole conversation we just had of her being from Australia. And that was one of my big trips before I even knew anything, you know, um, and I was there for a whole month. And wow. so I, I did not know Helen was from Australia. That is so cool. The the hair on the back of my neck just stood up. Yeah, you say I that. Know, I no, seriously, like, you know, how, yeah. how ironic, you know, the irony of, you know, connecting with someone in Australia that connected you with us. And then the fact that you were there just prior to diagnosis, which is just wild. Yeah. And I made so many friends while I was there. So when I was diagnosed, you know, just months after that, I had so many friends that I met in Australia praying for me and, you know, lifting me up all the way across the world. So I have people there that I know and, you know, um, they're amazing people. So that's just cool. Now Helen's just another one. So <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. So awesome to hear. Well, on that note, um, you know, this is probably a great segue. And, and what we always do with our guests is really give them the first part of the show, the opportunity to share their story. And I will preface this crystal as saying is it's up to you. You can go as far back as you want. Um, okay. Give us a little bit of your background and then share with us how you were diagnosed, when you were diagnosed, and what that journey looked like. And then we'll kind of play catch up from there. So okay. Go right ahead. Okay. Well, my name's Crystal Barnett. Um, I was born and raised in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, if you are familiar with Cedar Rapids, Iowa, it's it's a it's not as big as Des Moines, which Des Moines our capital and Cedar Rapids is just a little bit smaller. Um, so I've been born and raised here. I'm super close to my family. Um, I'm literally a ten minute drive to my parents' house, and then I have uh, two younger sisters, and they are super close to me too. And they're like a five ten minute five ten minute um, drive as well. So we're all super close. Um, so. There's that. Uh, and really, um, you know, growing up, I, I had an amazing childhood. Uh, my dad was the owner of a construction company. And then my mom, uh, back when I was just one years old, started this amazing dance studio and professional dance team here in Iowa. And we're still around to this day. So so really, when I look back at my childhood, it was amazing. And, and my parents owned these two businesses that we, we were also so a part of, which made us a part of the community here in Cedar Rapids um, and gave us like a positive outlook. And I, I, and I talk about that because with me fighting this cancer right now, it's why I'm still here with the community that I have and how my parents raised me and how we are so close as a family and just looking at their businesses and through those businesses, you meet so many other amazing people. And, and that's kind of how you um, grow as a person and all that. So um, really, that, that I really wanted to talk about that. Um, and then, um, you know, I graduated high school in 2010. Um, I went to just Kirkwood Community College, which was just a small um, college. And really, in 2012 is when I went to Australia. I was there for a month. I was so proud of myself and I went with my school. Um, I met so many amazing people. Like I said, I went with about 
15, 20 other people of students in my college class. Um, and that was really kind of like your, your, your growing up phase where you learn so much and you're like, you know what, traveling is amazing. And you kind of grow as a person, you grow your personality. Um, and then uh, January happens, uh, January 2013. So I come back from Australia in May of 2012. And then it's January 2013. I'm celebrating, you know, I'm, I'm 20. So I'm not 21 yet, but I'm still, you know, having a good time and celebrating. Um, and then about February, it's, it was just really one month after that, I started um, just feeling, uh, I don't even know the words to describe it, but I'm, I'm on the dance team that my mom owns. I'm on her professional dance team and I'm dancing and teaching class and I am struggling. I, you know, and I'm a pretty healthy, healthy girl. I eat healthy. You know, I drink my water, take my vitamins and in February, I just, I, there was something wrong and I could tell I wasn't thinking cancer. Um, but I was, but I knew something was wrong because I always listened to my body. Um, so we really went to the doctor's office and, um, we didn't think too much of it. You know, I did some blood work and the blood work was a little off. Well, by the end of February, I was so sick that I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't get to my college classes, which is not like me. I couldn't even dance. I couldn't work. And, um, I mean, I was just so weak. It wasn't even that I was tired. It was, I was weak. I couldn't even get out of bed. And my roommate at the time, if you, if you would talk to her, like she's the one that kind of, you know, lived with me during it and could say like she, there was something wrong, you know, she couldn't even get out of bed. Um, now we get to kind of March, we're still doing blood work and the blood work isn't still looking that great. And my blood sugars are running extremely low. So no wonder I'm so weak, you know, the blood sugars, my insulin, it's completely off. So that is why I'm so weak. So now it's beginning of March. And um, like I said, blood sugars are extremely low. Insulin is high. That's kind of how we knew something was off. I did a CAT scan. Um, it didn't really show much, just a few things in my liver, but they didn't think it was cancer. Like they were thinking, you know, sometimes people have spots in their livers and, you know, whatnot. Um, but then what started happening was I, it almost felt like I was going to faint anytime. Hmm. And my, it, just really looking at me, if I were to show you a picture, you know, back in 2013, my face started getting extremely bloated, including my arms and including my tummy. So if you look at, if you looked at me, like, you're like, okay, there's, this girl looks really sick. And then what started happening was I would get numb and my fingertips would go completely numb. I couldn't feel anything like I, and, and then I would have these, uh, like hot flashes. Like I would have these like sweats, these cold sweats and I could, my body, like I thought I was going to faint. So that that's all happening. Then I'm going to go on a family vacation with my spring break. You know, I'm going to go on a family vacation um, with my family for a week to Florida. So we go to Florida. I'm with my two younger sisters, my mom and dad. This is a nice little family vacation. Well, I couldn't do anything. I was so weak. I couldn't go to the beach. I could barely shower. I could barely get up. Um, and, and at the time, you know, you're trying to eat to keep your blood sugars up because obviously that's the problem. So we're thinking maybe diabetes you know, but then it's getting to the point where I'm, I, I'm not hungry. I can't even eat, but you have to eat to, 
I like I was telling my mom and my dad, I was like, I feel like I have to eat to stay alive. And um, this is where it really hit me. And then my doctor actually called us from the hotel saying she needs to come back immediately. But um, I was in the dressing room just trying on, you know, I could actually barely try on things, but I'm in the dressing with my two sisters. And I told them, I was like, I, I feel like I'm dying. Hmm. Like there's something wrong and we can't figure it out. And I, I literally feel like I'm dying. And I don't know, you know, I've never had that feeling before, but I was so sick. And just looking at me, I was so sick that I remember telling my sisters, I, I feel like I'm dying. So, you know, we, we get through that week. We're, we're driving home from Florida because we drove. And my doctor, um, Dr. Gekin, he's like, and this is just my family doctor, remember, it, same family doctor I've had my whole life, um, which I think is so important to have somebody you know, that has known you your whole life and your health. Cause I, I, in that, you know, knows your mental health, knows your physical health, but we come back, I do an MRI and, you know, I, I get my MRI done and Tuesday, I think, um, you know, I, I have college classes. My doctor calls me. He's like, Hey, like I, I, I need to see you and your mom and dad, like straight right in the morning, like 8am in the morning. And I was like, well, I have, I have a college class at eight in the morning. I can't, you know, I can't go. And he's like, I think this is a little bit more important than your education right now. This is your health. So, you know, I, I, I'm a little grumpy. I'm like, you know, okay, fine. I'll be there at eight. So I, you know, tell my professors and then me and my mom go in to my doctor's office at 8 a.m. And it was so like, you could tell they canceled every single appointment because I'm close to these doctors. I'm close to this, this office, this family office, family doctor's office. And we go in there at, um, 8 a.m. and they basically say they're like you know this there's this is cancer there's like there's a spot on your pancreas which it looks like that's probably the um area where it started and there's probably 14 spots on your liver which means it has spread and they're like and you're gonna have to go to the mayo clinic like we're gonna have to get you to the mayo clinic not anywhere in cedar rapids like this is something that you have to go to the mayo clinic up at Rochester, Minnesota. And at the time, you know, I'm, I'm 20, I'm still on my parents' insurance and their insurance is not covering out of state. Mm. So my family doctor fought for me to get to the Mayo Clinic and I was able to, and they're like, you know, we don't, he, he said, he's like, I don't even know if, if we would have caught this, you would not be here in a month. Like there is no way you would have survived this. And I got in the Mayo Clinic that next week so he wrote that letter. I was able to get in the Mayo Clinic. Um, and, you know, I got there and I was there for about two weeks. We kind of figured out what was going on, that it was a pancreatic cancer. That's kind of the start of it. But we didn't know what the tumor was quite yet um, until we did surgery. And then really April of 2013, I had the big life-saving Whipple procedure that literally saved my life because even my surgeon, he's like, or she was, it's a surgeon. Yeah. It was a girl. Um, and she was like, you will, I promise you feel a hundred times better after the surgery. And I, and I remember being like, yo, okay. Like there's no way. And in March or April of 2013, I had my, uh, Whipple procedure. And, and then really it obviously eight years, it's almost been eight years and, um, I'm still dealing with certain things today, but that's kind of like the main, uh, where it all started. Wow. Yeah. So I, I wasn't going to ask you how old you were, but yeah. you clearly have aged yourself for our listeners at home if they've kept track. So yeah. 2013, 
2000, April 2000 to 2013, you have a Whipple. You're 20 years mm-hmm. old. That would mean yeah. that you're under 30 at the moment. Oh, yeah. So, yep, so yep. not even being so able. 28. Yeah. So 28. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to back up for a second. Mm-hmm. And this is, I, I, you and I were talking before we hit record. I'm, I want this to resonate with our audience. You're not even legal to drink. Yeah. But you're going in for a Whipple. Yep. Yeah, no, it was, uh, and, and I've, in just to keep in mind, I've never had any health problems and I've never even had a surgery. I haven't even had my wisdom teeth out. So this Whipple procedure, you know, this is a big old, you know, nine hours, nine to 10 hours. Yeah. They cut you from the top of your, oh, yeah. top of your sternum yeah. all the way down. So oh, yeah. I, I'm going to back and, up. And, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, and go. this is actually, I have, I, I wish I could, I could see your, I could show pictures, but, um, it, mine was like from one side of like my belt. So it looks like an upside down. It's like above my belly button. It looks like an upside down smiley face. So it yeah. kind of looks like, um, cause I know there's some that go up and down and there's yeah. some that go, you know, the other way, but that's kind of what mine is. And, and unfortunately my surgery was about 16 hours oh my because God. there was so much cancer that was in there. Cause after, you know, MRIs don't always show everything no. and they only saw one. Well in there, there was two and there was so many other, I mean, my lymph nodes were full of the cancer, my liver, you know, we took out the gallbladder, the spleen, you know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. So, so I, for someone that had no health problems to go into have a Whipple procedure, it, you know, it was, that's pretty was extreme. Crazy. So yeah. I, I want to back up because on that note, like, you know, so you, you're living this life, you're, you're a professional yeah. dancer, which is, you know, that's a lot of work mm-hmm. you're and you're watching what you're eating. And when yep. you talk about your symptoms, yep. you're saying you were weak and you were tired and your mm-hmm. blood sugar was really low. So question yep. number one was, so did you be did you ever get a test prior to the Whipple saying that you were diabetic or it was kind of like all signs are pointing to like a pre-diabetes type situation? Yeah, I mean, when I first, you know, I, I get my physical every year and there was no signs of anything. But when I started feeling that way and my blood sugars were so crazy and whack, they were, you know, leaning towards, you know, this might be a diabetic problem. Like there there might be something, you know towards that. Um, so when I was mentally like, okay, okay. You know, I had no idea cancer would be, we don't even have any cancer in our family. You know, we have heart problems and, and, you know, even diabetes, but we don't have cancer, especially pancreatic cancer. So that was completely, so the, the, how my family doctor found that is still amazing to this day. And I'm so grateful and thankful for him. I actually just saw him today, which is crazy. Cause I, you know, I do my physical, you have your cancer yeah. physical, but you have to actually do your, you know, other physical too. But, uh, it, it's just so amazing that he was able to catch that and get me into the Mayo Clinic, which I'm so grateful for as well. So when we think of pancreatic cancer and we're in November, mm-hmm. pancreatic cancer awareness, and we talk about signs and symptoms, I mean, yeah, I mean, blood sugar, like pre-diabetes or diabetics mm-hmm. would be a, a, a risk factor, 
but you didn't present like, and you did say, like, I know you said like you were very hungry, but that was kind mm-hmm. of post the bloating yep. and the numbness is something new that I've never heard of. Um, really? Yeah. yeah. That that's really, I mean, typically people lose weight, you know, mm-hmm. and so they go the opposite direction where they're thinning out and not necessarily yep. bloating up. Um, not in a, not in a pre tense in terms of before they're diagnosed. There's some bloating mm-hmm. that happens post with, you know, chemotherapy treatments and stuff like that. Yep. But so I, you didn't experience any abdominal pain, any nope. back pain, any GI mm-hmm. issues or anything? Nope. Nothing. None of that. Nope. You weren't jaundice? Mm-mm. Wow. Yeah, no, I know. Th- I mean, that's just the crazy thing is it hits people so different and um, the scary thing at the same time, because it, it really just goes to show that, like, if you just feel like there's something wrong with your body, you know, just get it checked out. You know, you, you never know what it really can be. So, but, and then the numbingness was just another thing that was just, it was just weird um, when that started happening. Cause it didn't start happening right away. It was probably honestly towards when the end of life, like when I didn't know if I was going to make it. Hmm. Uh, is when I started having the numbingness of the fingers and my, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but you, my body was just so numb. Like you could touch me and I like couldn't feel it in my fingertips. It, it, I, it's so weird. It's hard to describe, but. So this was all prior to the Whipple. So it's not like yep. the neuropathy after with chemo, you know, after you, I know with a Correct. lot of our chemotherapy patients, they have yep. neuropathy because of the, ke- yep. the chemo and the active ingredients that are doing that, yep. you know, killing your nerve endings and stuff. So this is before, this is so fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah. Crystal, because again, and, and this is like before we hit record, you know, but it, it's almost so, <clears throat> Excuse me. I have a very interesting story to tell, and, and you know, for the audience listening at home, knows that we we interview so many survivors. And there's a gentleman that we interviewed who's also he when he was diagnosed, and I don't don't quote the exacts on this for me, mm-hmm. but Matteo Passero, young gentleman, he was diagnosed 21 or 20, between 20 and 24. Okay. But he had a very similar experience in the sense that he didn't have any routine symptoms. And when I say routine, backache, abdominal pain, jaundice, rapid weight loss, um, similar to you where I wouldn't say, and I'm not a doctor, but you mm-hmm. know, someone who just has who's weak and tired, you know, that could be the yeah. flu, right? Like that could be yeah, COVID right now, yeah. right? Like someone who's yep. getting COVID, I've been hearing, you know, I've had a couple of colleagues that have had COVID. They say it's like the flu times a hundred where they can't right. even get their head off the pillow. They're so tired. They're so weak, you know, so that symptom alone by itself mm-hmm. is so vague in the sense that it doesn't scream pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And given your age when you were, the correlation I want to make is the proper term here is with Matteo, he had GI issues. He had massive GI issues for like two weeks nonstop. And, but the funny thing, not funny in the sense of it funny, but the I- irony in his situation was he was still able to eat. It wasn't like he wasn't yeah. not eating. He just couldn't keep anything down. And right. so it's just fascinating to me that there's a correlation of two very young people that mm-hmm. went down a similar path with this disease, but had very kind of 
different, not asymptoms or asymptomatic that we would think with jaundice, lower back pain, um, you know, rapid weight loss, um, you know, that we typically would associate with pancreatic cancer. So that's where I think like, this is really fascinating to me to geek out a little bit here because we have two people very young experiencing a symptom you know, that we could say like, yeah, tiredness, weakness, that's a sign. Again, it's vague, but it is related, you know, it could be related. You know, if we, if you take that step back and see that your blood sugar is really low, so you're like kind of pre-diabetic in a way, which we know that is a precursor potentially to pancreatic cancer as is massive GI issues, you know? So it's just fascinating to me that, you know, I've been able to interview two people in their early twenties that had one symptom that was so dramatic, but no other underlying symptoms. And what you said, you know, knowing your body is so important when you know something's not right, but then making sure that you have such a strong advocate and your family doctor, Mm -hmm. the guy deserves a medal, quite honestly, for, (laughs) you know, continuing to advocate for you because a lot of GPs would just sum it up as, "Eh, you got diabetes. Right, yep, or you're so young, it can't be this, you know. you'll be fine. And, um, you know, and he sent me to, he didn't send me to a, I'm not bashing Cedar Rapids by no means, but you know, you're, I'm going to the Mayo clinic. He sent me there, which I'm so, uh, um, like that's just, I mean, they saved my life for sure after that Whipple procedure. And yeah, I mean, 20 years old and diagnosed with that. And, And I remember telling my mom, about, you know, my symptoms and really when it started in February, just with the tiredness and, and I'm a pretty, you know, energetic person. Like, you know, I, I, I constantly doing something. I was going to college, you know, and she was like, well, are you getting enough sleep? You know, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I'm sleep. sleeping, you know, and I, she's like, well, yeah, are you drinking too much? I'm like, I'm honestly not even, you know, you're in college. I'm, I'm going to be honest. And, uh, and I was like, I'm, I can't even go anywhere. Like, I'm so weak. I can't even go anywhere. I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm just, you know, laying around really and trying to figure out what's wrong with me. So when, at, you know, telling her those first symptoms and then really in end of February, she, just by looking at me, um, she could tell something was wrong, you know, same with my, my dad. So. That's so, so crazy. Yeah. It's just yeah. a, such a crazy, crazy, crazy story here. So you do the Whipple in mm-hmm. 13 and then you said, and, and we kind of stopped there, but let's talk a little bit about from th- April okay. 13 to where we are today. You have said, you know, you're continuing to have issues and challenges and yeah. are you doing maintenance therapies or what, what has that yeah. been like? So, so really, yeah. So April, 2013, you know, I did my Whipple procedure, felt amazing. And, um, I was in the hospital for about two weeks with that. You know, that's a that's a big surgery, especially when you've never had a surgery before. Um, and then, uh, so April, and then in May, May 11th, you know, I turned 21, and I was determined to go to Vegas for my 21st. And then after that, after Vegas was supposed to be like my, you know, another, you know, just making sure everything looks okay. But guess what? I did go to, I, I did go to the Vegas for my 21st birthday. So I made sure that happened even with me cut open and, but I had a good. So like a month that, and not even six weeks yeah, later. Yeah. Yeah. And God my doctors, you. they're like, if you can do it, you know, live your life. Cause honestly, you know, you, you might not be around, you know, till they gave me like 23, 24 
So I'm like, you know, you know what? I'm because I was going with the dance team. I was going with this, this professional team of women, and I, I had this huge party planned. And and I remember texting them in the hospital room. Or it, it might have been when I was home. I, I don't know exactly. Um, but I was like, we're going. We are still going and having a good time on my 21st. I don't care how I feel. I'm going. And I'm so glad I did because and I think I recovered really well. Just obviously my spirit and my my um my you know family and friends and and that but uh but I, I kind of I'm someone that just kind of keeps going and looking for the future and I think that's why I healed so well and I'm also young you know I was young if if an 80 year old's getting this whoopal procedure it's a completely different you know I was 20 at the time I, I you're going to heal a little bit faster because that's just how you know the anatomy works and all that um but then really after Vegas is when I went back to the Mayo Clinic and I go there Every single, I go every three months, every two to three months, I go to the Mayo Clinic and have my checkup because they're like, we have to stay on it, um, you know, to, to give you a long life. So you got to stay on it and keep going to your checkups and, you know, do your blood work, do your MRI, meet with everybody. Um, but I did start chemo in June of 2013. That was kind of like, I did six months of chemotherapy, um, it starting in June. So that was kind of the next step after the Whipple procedure. And really since then I've done over, I've done over 30 rounds of chemotherapy. I've had a, a surgery to remove some more lymph nodes. I've had five liver ablations and two lung ablations. And actually mm-hmm. now, you know, sitting here talking to you it, it, uh, three weeks ago, I did a lung ablation. So I had a lung surgery three weeks ago. Um, and I'm still slowly recovering, but I, I'm feeling pretty good. So I, I just have to stay on top of my cancer. And if you got to do some rounds of chemotherapy to stay alive, then you got to do it. If you have to do your lung ablation, you have to do it. You know, I've, I put my lung ablation this last time off for probably six months Well, because of COVID. You know, it's a scary time right now and you're trying your best to be safe, but then fight your cancer. And we were finally like, you know, it's the tumor's growing because uh, unfortunately, about two years ago, it spread to my lungs. My hmm. cancer did. So I, that's why we have to stay on top of the lungs now, too. But, um, yeah, three weeks ago, I did the my lung ablation on my left lung. And it was successful. So now I'm just slowly recovering at home. And um, it's a perfect time to recover because there is nothing going on because of COVID. So I'm just sitting at home. So your treatment then is to continue to stay in, I guess, surveillance for yep. what's going yeah. on. Yep. Are you currently in chemotherapy treatment right now or no? It's just strictly... Nope, not right now. I've been off chemo for about a year and a half, I would say. Oh, wow. Yep. So, there, you know, chemo can do a lot to the body Yep. Um, and it can aid your body. So we try our best to um, do that with small amounts because I, I handle the chemo pretty well. But it, it gets to you after, you know, a little bit. Uh, and it can cause longer effects on your body as well as you age. So not saying that I'm getting older, but it can cause my body to become weaker, you know. So you mentioned something before, Crystal, that I, I wrote down here that I wanted to bring up before I forget. Yeah. You said the doctor said you get to 23 or 24. Yeah. So was that what the doctors told you back when you were di- diagnosed originally? 
Yep. So back um, when I went to the Mayo and I was there doing, I mean, I was doing testing from eight in the morning till five in the afternoon for two weeks. And I met with all these different types of doctors and they're like, you know, for as healthy and young as you are, you are so very sick. And, you know, at 20 and, you know, this cancer is a killer. So we could see only, you know, we don't want to be negative, but it could be 23, 24 years old. Um, and, and hopefully as the years go on, technology happens and we learn more. And, and at the Mayo, I, I let them, exp- you know, I, um, I'm in the research like I'm like, you know, use my blood, use my tissue. Like, so you're researching what I have to help with other people, you know, um, if I can give some blood and give some tumor and give some tissue to the Mayo Clinic, why would I not do that to help somebody else or help me in the future? So I'm, so when I think kind of back to it, cause ablations, I think, I don't know when ablations are being a thing. Um, but you know, I've had seven ablations and those have kept me going is ablations. Are they fun? No, but they've kept me, you know, they've kept me alive. And I don't think ablations were really a thing, you know, 10 years ago and look at, look at it now. Like, you know, it's a pretty easy surgery where they just kind of go in with a needle and they're either going to burn your tumor or they're going to freeze it depending on if it's a liver or a lung. And I'm very grateful for the future of technology and to kind of keep learning and experimenting with certain things. And I do experimental keep, you know, I try certain things and we actually found a, you know, concoction that actually works for my body and my uh, cancer. And I don't think I brought this up, but I, um, when, you know, when I did the biopsy and stuff, I have a neuroendocrine tumor. So NET, yeah. Yes. So that's what I have. I, I don't think I, and I have a high grade, it's high grade neuroendocrine tumor. I don't think I brought that up before, but that's also, that's a pretty main thing, um, you know, to have in my story. So. Well, and I think today is, as we, record this on the 10th of November is oh neuroendocrine day. Yes, it is. Oh my, I haven't even looked at my planner today because I had, oh, it is. Yep. November 10th. I'll yeah. have to post about that. I always do that. Yeah. Cause it's zebra and that's so cool. So yeah. So there's a gentleman who we just had recently had on the, the podcast, Dr. Mark Lewis, who's pretty mm-hmm. big on Twitter. I don't think he has a big following. I don't think he's on Instagram or Facebook, but he's a, uh, uh, GI oncologist at Intermountain out in Utah. Okay. And um, he himself is a uh, is a neuroendocrine tumor survivor that was in his pancreas. And he is, uh, you know, he's, and he was young, you know, as a, as a family right. syndrome. So I, I guess knowing now that it was a high-grade net, I know you said there was no family history of cancer. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, 2013, the way that, cancers were treated as different than how they're treated today with evolution and technology. Have you ever done genetic testing? I I have. Yep, I have. And I I don't know all the, you know, medical terms of it. And I, I did it so long ago, but I have done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know. I don't have much information about that because it was so long ago. Uh, but I, I do remember doing it. There's just, I think there's just so much I've actually done that it's hard to kind of keep it all um, all together, but I, I have done that and I have, I have nobody in, in my family. My mom did have a uh, melanoma, um, but it, it, they took it off and, and really it was from, you know, being in the sun or, you know, and w- we have freckles. Like if you, if you look at me and my family, we all have yeah. freckles. 
So, but they were easy. They're able to um, get her cancer and, uh, um, and didn't spread to her lymph nodes or anything. And she's been like, I think 10 or 11 years. Oh, wow. Uh, she's, she's been good. So, um, I don't know if that connects anyway. I, we always tell, you know, my doctors obviously, but, but, um, but yeah, that's really the only, uh, cancer, I guess, but yeah, ne- uh, neuroendocrine tumors and pancreatic cancer is definitely not a thing in our family. So hmm, interesting. So going going back to what the doctor said to you, and and I've I've talked about this like, you know, I I as the interviewer taking notes here, and there's this I have talked about this on other podcasts. There's like this arch that people are arc that people are on. Mm-hmm. You mentioned your parents before. Dad owned a construction yeah. business. I can relate yep. to that. My dad was a laborer for yep. 20 plus, 30 plus years. It's a different mindset. Yeah. Your mom, entrepreneur, owned her own dance studio. Very yeah. successful dance studio. Yeah. So there's a particular mindset to that, right? Mm-hmm. And you talked about, you mentioned, you know, doctors told you, yeah, maybe you'll get to 23, 24. Here you are at 28. Yeah. Well beyond that. I know you had, you know, just from doing some research, you know, you something happened in 16 that probably back in 2013, probably never thought that would possibly happen. Mm -hmm. That mindset, and that's a good thing. We're going to talk about that (laughs) for our audience (laughs) listening at home. Uh, It wasn't a bad thing. It was a very good thing that happened in your life. But where does that, you know, when a doctor says that to you, like that mindset, where does that, where do you think that comes from? Oh, I mean, it's definitely how I was raised. I mean, I think it's so huge how we are raised um, as children. And I was just so fortunate to have an amazing childhood. And I'm still very close to my family. You know, today I, I work with my mom, you know, I'm, I'm with her all the time. Um, and, and they were always like, you know, when I was first diagnosed and I'm sitting in that room, you know, when you're 20, if you're 20 and listening to this, you know, you're invincible. <laughs> like, you, you don't have cancer. You're fine. Look, I went to Vegas after a month. Now, would I have done that right now at 28, gone to Vegas after a month of surgery? I don't know. Probably not. Um, but, you know, when you're 20 and you get told you have cancer, you're just like, okay, well, let's just get the surgery done. Like, let's just, let's get this out of here so I can feel better. And literally, that was my mindset. Like, I was like, okay, I, I'm going to get have this surgery. I'm going to get it over with and I'm going to go back to normal life feeling fine. Never in a million years would I have thought at 28, I'd still be dealing with it, which can be emotional to think about sometimes, but you know, that's life. And that's, I guess what I was given. And, um, I just try to do my best to spread awareness and use my story, but yeah, definitely having that mindset was from just how I was raised. And, um, you know, they're all, my parents are always like, yeah, you gotta, no matter what it throws at you, you still got to keep living and doing the best you can. And, and when people ask, they're like, you know, how do you do it all? Like, how do you keep doing this and, and still going to dance and work and, you know, um, you know, taking care of your home, taking care of your health. And I was like, well, you don't really have a choice. Like you either choose to live or you choose not to live. And I, I choose to live and I'm going to choose to live in a positive way and I'm going to fight the best I can. And I'm going to enjoy everything in life. I'm going to travel and I'm going to, you know, live life to the fullest because you only get this one life. So, I mean, when people ask that, it's like, well, I don't, you know, you have a choice and my choice is to live and 
fight till, you know, you can't anymore. So that's kind of my mindset. It's pretty powerful. I don't know how many 28 year olds have that mindset. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably thinking, when am I getting back to Vegas? Right. Uh, I do love Vegas. I go every year. This year was canceled. I was supposed to go this year because uh, it was my parents' 30th wedding anniversary. So they're going to have wow. a huge pool party. And so that was canceled because of COVID. But, you know, we'll go We'll go next year or whenever. So That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I, I want to shift here a little bit and talk about what I just mentioned. So in 2016, yep. something uh, beautiful happened where you, you got married. Oh, yes. Yeah. 2016. So how was that? I mean, going through what we just talked about to even mm -hmm. get to that point, like must've been really special for you and then for yeah. your family. Yep. Um, so really in 2013, you know, I wasn't I didn't know my husband at the time. My husband's name is Gage. Uh, we didn't know each other. I met him in uh, September of 2013. Is So he, I basically, he already kind of knew, but I hadn't, you know, I didn't know him. Um, but we met in September and, you know, I told him like kind of what's up. But my mom actually does a, uh, you know, she does a blog yeah. Um, that's kind of, and I, I'm sure maybe you've seen that yeah. some research, but she, yeah. she has her own little thing. So he's obviously, um, read it cause it's kind of social media and, you know, the community knows a little bit about, uh, my situation, but I met him and I, you know, I pretty much knew he was the one after three months of, <laughs> um, you just know, like, you know, I've, I've dated other people before and, you know, you're just kind of dating, whatever. And then this, this guy comes around. I'm like, oh yeah, like I'm going to marry him. And here we are married and it's been four years. So we just celebrated our four year wedding anniversary in July of 2000 or 2020. So. That's uh, so oh, yeah. special. That's so awesome. <laughs> That's so awesome. Next question is, and thanks for sharing that. Cause uh, I know, you know, that's uh, just a special, special moment in yeah. anyone's life that goes through that. And uh, especially given what you've gone through is just really cool. You talk a lot about family and mm -hmm. community. What, what does that, you know, if you had to define it or, you know, just share with us and share with the audience, I should say, you know, what that meant for you when you went through this. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, family is just, it's, it's everything. And like, like I've said before, uh, I'm so, some people don't, are not as fortunate as me to have a positive and happy childhood and family and, um, you know, my sisters and, and we're just so close and that, that helps. I mean, my mom, and my husband and my, my, we go to every single appointment with me. Um, and that's so important to have because you can be an advocate for yourself, but it, you also need your loved ones to help be an advocate when you cannot be uh, during your week times. Um, so family is so important in that um, aspect. And, and I'm just, you know, that grateful that I have a husband that, you know, I trust and trust his judgment when I'm weak at the, you know, three weeks ago when I was having my surgery, um, when you're put to sleep or you're struggling, you know, you need somebody. And I couldn't have my mom there because of COVID. I couldn't have yeah. my mom and I couldn't have my husband in the same room. I had to just, I had to choose one. And, you know, when you get married, it's your husband. <laughs> and uh, he had to go through that alone. 
because his support is my mom. So, they, you know, they help each other out and he couldn't have that. So COVID's definitely, you know, <laughs> taught you how it, you know, important it is to have family and loved ones and, and really just the community. Um, you know, when my mom started this studio back in 1993, I was only one. And it just so happens 2020, you know, we're still here. And um, I've met so many amazing people, you know, professional team women that I've, I've, you know, I've become best friends with. And I also teach. I teach ages three to 17. So I've met so many people from there. And then the community that comes out and watches us, you know, you, you meet so many positive, you meet some negative, you know, we have to have negativity in life to find the positive. Um, but you, you find positive through that in the community here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So I'm, I'm very blessed um, to get prayers from people that I don't even know, you know, it's powerful stuff. I think that, you know, yeah. anytime you can rally the community, um, there's strength in numbers and everything. And yeah. I think this is just a testament to the community there at large and being able to rally um, for you is just really, really special. Yeah. You mentioned COVID and, and I know, you know, we're, we're still in this COVID reality. I mean, here on the yeah. East coast, it's, it was quiet. Now it's, it's back rearing itself up again. And I know in the Midwest, yeah. it seems like it's, it's kind of exploded a bit in certain yeah. areas. Schools, schools just closed today, I think. Oh. So we'll have to go through all that. And obviously we haven't had dance or anything because of it. Cause I want to teach, I want to keep the kids safe, but I also have to keep myself safe with, you know, everything going on and me just having a surgery, especially, but yeah, no COVID is not fun right now. So I'm trying to find the positivity in it. Cause that's, you know, that's what I'm about, but it can be hard at times. So are there things that you do? You, you talk about positivity in that. I mean, the reality is, is that it's, you know, for anyone who's immunocompromised, anyone who's, who's dealt with any type of disease, yeah. it's a serious issue. So yeah. are there certain strategies that you use or certain things that you've done, you know, to kind of, I know from a medical standpoint, you know, there's limitations now in terms of who can and go and can't go. Um, so are there things that you're kind of learning, navigating through this COVID reality yeah. that have been helpful that you could share? Yep. So, so really, obviously I talked to my doctors a lot about it. Um, but I, I really am super healthy. Um, I just got my blood work back. You know, I, I have, there's nothing wrong with my blood work. You would not, you wouldn't even think I had cancer, you know, cause my blood work is so good. So when I talked to my oncology doctor and my surgeons and, and stuff like that, they're like, you know, just be as safe as possible, but it's also going to be around for a little bit. So you have to find kind of your new normal. And, and that's helped me a lot. They're like, if you were to get it, you know, the scary thing is, you, you know, people are dying from it, but people also get mild symptoms, you know? So they're like, just you, you do what's best for you and just be safe when you're doing it. So that's really what I, what I've done. And, um, you know, at the beginning when it first started being a thing, um, we were really careful. I mean, I, packages coming, you know, to the door, like everything we were sanitizing everything where now it's like, okay, well, am I gonna, you know, freak out about packages as much or, you know, I'm, I'm not, that's not a way to live. That's not what I'm going to do. Other people can do it. And I'm not going to judge, but, but I'm not going to do that. So really I just, I wear my mask, you know, I keep my distance. I still be, I still see my family, but I keep my distance with a mask. You know, you just do what you, you can, you wash your hands, you know, 
try and try and live life as normal as possible, but being safe at the same time and respecting others. There's so many people out there that don't respect other people's, you know, especially with health. Like yeah. you, you gotta, if you should not be complaining about wearing a mask into a store, you know, we don't have a mask mandate here in Iowa, but you know, stores make it mandatory. And there's so many people that whine about it. It's like, just wear them. Don't go to the store. Then <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Yeah. Like, just wear well, your mask. It's not that hard. I think what you said, you know, to me, I don't know, do it for others. You're not doing it for yeah. yourself. Like granted, yep. I get it. Understand it. But I think that's the biggest thing. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a difference between being selfless and selfish. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I think the the selfish thing is to not wear it if you're in a state yeah. that doesn't mandate it. Yeah. Um the selfless thing, because there are unfortunately people that, you know, are vulnerable that have to go out to these stores. Um, they yep. don't have the the needs or, you know, they don't have the resources even to, you know, allow other people to do their shopping for them. So they right. have to go out and physically do it. Yep. So do the selfless thing and just wear a mask. Yep. Yep. You know, it's yeah, not, it's not all day. You're just going in to buy yeah. a pack of smokes or get a yep. gallon of milk and then get out of there. Yep. It's 10 minutes. It, it's, it's so easy. And, and people that complain about not being able to breathe, it's like, you know, I just had lung surgery, you know, <laughs> yeah. so no long ago. And I had, a, I'm not complaining. Like I had to wear a mask. Like, you know, when you're in surgery and you just had lung surgery and, you know, I thank God my lung didn't collapse, but you know, usually it collapses and I, I had to wear a mask the whole time. You know, like I, I did it. You can do it too. So I get it. It's not fun. I, I love be, seeing people smile. I'm a people person. I, I miss seeing people's smiles and hugs and, and I'm a hugger. I miss all that. But before it gets back to normal, you got to, we got to do our part. And, you know, obviously yeah, it's hard to find the positive in this, but, but uh, it, everything happens for a reason, I believe. And, and if it's like, I was talking to my sister the other day, I talked to both of them yesterday. I talked to my sisters every day, but, uh, she was like, oh, I'll never take a nap at your house again. I'm going to, I'm going to appreciate every moment. Like I'm never going to, one of my sisters comes over and will take a nap for three hours, you know? Um, and she's like, I'm never taking a nap again. You know, I'm going to appreciate every moment. It's so really, if you know, this is happening. It'll make you appreciate the small little moments of just having dinner with your family or, going on vacation. I miss going, I haven't gone on vacation all year. I'm a vacation person. You know, it's going to make you not take those things for granted because we do as humans, like you take little things like that for granted, hugging your family, you know, having dinner, (laughs) you know, sleeping at your sister's house, you take those for granted. And I don't think you'll do that as much anymore after this. So it's true. It's true. Yeah. Two questions left for you. First one is, okay. What's the best advice you could give someone learn, uh, you know, listening to this that just has been diagnosed? Oh, well, I, I'm trying to go back to when I was first diagnosed and how my thought process was. Um, really, I do a lot of, of meditating and devotions and I try and, you know, talking to me, finding the positive, being kind and. And it's really just taking a deep breath, you know, and it is okay to be angry. It is okay to be angry. You can be angry for a week if you want to. You can do whatever you want. You can yell. You can scream. You can be mad at God. And then you got to get over it and you got to suck it up and you got to fight. And that that has been my mentality. It is okay to be upset. It's an upsetting thing. 
but then you got to get over and fight because having negativity in it is not going to get you anywhere. It's really not. If I would have been negative into him and like, oh, this surgery is not going to be successful or this chemo is not going to work or, you know, screw my life. I probably wouldn't be here today. So we got to get through your anger, get through the the hard part of it and you suck it up and you, you fight and you, and you try and find the positive in it and why this is happening. And because that's, that's the question you're going to have. You're going to be like, well, why is this happening to me? That's literally the worst. That's the hardest question. Cause I, I ask that, you know, probably every week, you're like, gosh, why is this happening to me? And it could, it might not even be cancer. It could be, you know, failing at your tests that you're trying to do at school. Like, why is this happening to me? Or breaking up with your boyfriend? Or why is this happening to me? We all have those questions and it's how you're going to get through it and find that, you know, positivity and, and fight for, and fight for you when you're at the doctor's office and you were just diagnosed. If you feel something isn't right, if you want a different doctor, if you want this blood work to be redone, fight for you, you know, be an advocate for yourself and what you think is right. And I think that's so important. And so, and, and I was raised to be like that. Some people aren't like that. So hopefully maybe listening to me will give you a little oomph to fight for you or, or your family member if they're going through it. Powerful. I love yeah. it though. It's powerful, Good. but it's, I love every yeah. bit, bit of it. Uh, I would say you probably have some Irish in you or some Italian possibly, yeah. but I'm a little bit Irish. Yeah. Uh, there we go. There we go. It's the Irish. You know, there's not, I don't think there's a lot of Italians that went from Italy to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I don't mean that in yeah. a funny, I mean that in a funny way, not in a, I'm being very sarcastic when I said that, yeah. but I, I think that, you know, in, in a serious note here that that is powerful because you have to, you have to be your biggest advocate. No one is, yeah. I've always tell patients, they are not going to give you anything unless you ask. And yeah. you know, the, the, yep. the sad part is like, you know, and this is no offense to anyone. A lot of people just don't know what to ask sometimes and they don't know that right. certain things yep. are available, but you know, don't be afraid. You have to have the courage to ask the questions. Yep. And you know, if you don't feel right, then just leave, just walk out, go find a doctor. Yep. Cause there's so many yep. great doctors. Go there find is. another doctor, you know, that mm-hmm. you have faith and you have trust and that you feel comfortable yep. with. Yep. It's so true because there is, there is like everything in life. There's, there's good people. Like we talked about before we even started recording, there's, there's good people and there's bad people. You know, there's good cops, there's bad cops. There's good presidents, there's bad presidents. There's, there's, there's good, you know, business people, there's bad, you know, there's good doctors, there's bad doctors. There, there really exactly. is. And I've, I've dealt with doc, bad doctors and I've dealt with amazing doctors. So I've, I've also dealt with bad nurses. And then I've dealt with really good nurses. So it, it, it's, it's not abnormal to not have, you know, a bad uh, doctor or nurse or an, or an experience. Just you could have a bad experience. I literally um, just had a bad experience. Um, I've, I've done, I, I, I've done really good with all my surgeries, my chemo. I've been so fortunate. I've probably had more bad nurses, um, you know, when you're in the hospital, uh, but I've been really fortunate, like I've said, but just, uh, I, you know, I was supposed to have this lung ablation six weeks ago and it went bad because of an anesthesiologist that oh. made a mistake. That's never happened before. I've always had successful surgery. So waking up to not having a successful surgery and I had to come and redo it all over again. This just happened to me, you know, six weeks ago, I was supposed to already be done. And I had to redo the surgery because I had to emergency, you know, stop it because I had a bad anesthesiologist and you know when and then during covid 
I'm like, of course, 2020 would be the year I have a bad surgery. Um, but I made it very clear that I was like, okay, well, I don't want the anesthesiologist again. If they messed up, you know, we have to get a different one. And, you know, like I said, everyone, even me being the most positive I can be, I even have bad experiences. So powerful just stuff. how you're going to handle them. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. It's how you handle them. Powerful stuff. My last question, and this is always one that we, uh, you know, we, we give all the survivors and there's no right or wrong to this. This is your mm-hmm. answer okay. is how do you define pancreatic cancer? What is Crystal's definition of pancreatic cancer? Um, I mean, it definitely does not discriminate with age wise. I mean, there's so, if you look at the age, there's so many, there's so many different ages. Uh, with this, I was 20, 28. Now there's 70 year olds, there's 30 year olds, you know, it can be anybody and not even with family history, you know? Um, so really it just doesn't discriminate is probably what I would say. There's no right or wrong. Uh, and uh, okay. you're, you're right on point on that one. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> I mean, I think your, your experience going through it, you know, being 20, I just like scratch my head here, you know, not even being able legal to drink. Yeah. And having to deal with a Whipple where, like you yeah. said, most 20 year olds uh, are thinking about where are they going to go to party this weekend right. or where are they going to get alcohol or where are they going to go yeah. <laughs> on a date with, with so-and-so and you're fighting for your life. So yeah. it's just really, really powerful, Crystal. Uh, last thing, yeah. if someone listening to this, maybe there's another 20 year old out there or mm-hmm. maybe someone else that is hearing this story and would love to connect to you, with you, learn more about maybe what you did at Mayo mm-hmm. or, you know, some of the treatments that you're currently on, where is the best place for our audience to connect with you? I know you, your mom has the yeah. website, but maybe there's yep. social media. I, I know that you're on Twitter, Facebook, where, where's that yep. best, best so, place? So obviously the best place to read the story, especially from the beginning And if you just want to learn more about really our family and how we do things and just, you know, everything, um, it's, it's crystalstory.com. Um, my mom is the one that writes it. I'll write a few things in it, but it's really her, you know, my story through her eyes as a mother. Um, but it's crystal story and there's two S's in there, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S and then story S-T-O-R. Why? Um, so there's that, but really I, I'm, oh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram a lot. So that would be the best Instagram. I get a lot of Instagram messages and I always uh, reply to those. Um, I don't even know what my name is. I think it's just Crystal Barnett. There might be an M in there. I don't even know. <laughs> I can tell you right now. <laughs> can you? <laughs> if I look on my Instagram handle, uh, cause that's how we connected, uh, mm-hmm. through Instagram. Uh, let's see here. Yep. Uh, crystal. Yeah. It's crystal M Barnett. So yes, okay. you are correct. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And then M on Facebook, I know it's just crystal Marie Barnett is Facebook. I'm not the greatest at Twitter. I try and be, <laughs> but I'm just, I probably won't respond on Twitter cause I don't even understand like where the mailbox, like how you get your messages. Like I'm just not good at Twitter. Crystal, that's okay. There's, there's, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's not many that are good with Twitter. Maybe the one man who's currently our president, he's probably yep, known yep. to be the best at Twitter, but you know, we'll, that's, we'll save that for another day, another story, yep. <laughs> um, which is just uh, funny there. Well, Crystal, thank you for sharing your story and your journey 
with us. Uh, I mean, as I said before we recorded, you know, we we talked to a lot of survivors and this is really the power of this podcast is sharing all these stories because every single one is a little bit different, which is fascinating to me, Yeah, but also very scary. Yeah. And I don't mean to to put the fear in our audience, but this is really why we do what we do because we have to find early detection. I mean, it is critical. You know, we just had the passing of Alex Trebek over the weekend and I know yeah. he was really super super vocal and, you know, early yeah. detection will save lives and we know that yep. that that's happened in other cancers. So, you know, thank you once again for coming on sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I I had a lot of fun. So I really appreciate you reaching out to me and having me and, um, and letting me share my story. So, well, it's been my pleasure. And as we say here at project purple, if you love what you hear today, please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, share this podcast. And until next time, please be safe. And that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast.